Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. I love you guys. For real, for real. Um, It's awesome to be here. I love Kyle and Glenn and everybody else. So, well... Um, man, we just had a crazy 24 hours in Dallas. Um, Kyle and Brooke were there and, and Sloan was there. Um, we were at a good friend of mine's church called the storehouse and, um, Corey Russell and Billy Humphrey hosted a gathering there and it was wild. No, I, I don't. And I don't say that lightly. Like I'm in a lot of wild moments for sure, you know? He's prophetic swirl things happen in the room it's great but though the things that were deposited from those two men really messed us up I mean they were deep deep stuff uh Billy Humphrey <clears throat> if you don't know who he is he's uh the director of IHOP Atlanta now called Gate City he preached this word on um on friendship with God that is it that you and as soon as I say that it's like oh yeah we get that like, you know, it's kind of, oh, we're friends of God. Like, it was something else. I mean, no, no, for real, for real. Like, I I got in, like, we got in last night at, like, 1.30, and I just laid there, like, and even, even this morning, just going, man, am I your friend, God? And, and I know that's a weird thing to say. People will go, oh, of course you are. They want to, they wanna, like, false comfort you. But no, like, like for real, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm a little bit messed up. And, um, you know, Billy was just hitting heavy on, you know, like how we, especially guys in my situation, um, we are constantly living in the tension of preparing something to say. And so how, you know, in the same way that, in the same way that, um, you know, it feels yucky when someone's trying to become your friend because they have an ulterior motive. And, and that's how sometimes we are with our relationships with God. And so even this morning, I, I was driving to this coffee shop. What was it called? Greater Good. And um, no, and I was just talking to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, do you call me a friend? So I'm actually, I, some of you might go, that's weird that you're asking that. I'm actually asking the Lord right now for confirmation uh, that I'm his friend. No, I'm serious. I, I know I'm a son. I know I'm saved. But does God, am I a good friend to him? I'm actually asking him to sh- give me confirmation if I am or not. <laughs> and I say that to say I feel slightly odd and awkward speaking right now. Like after what happened this weekend, like I'm going, dang, I have to go preach now. Like I don't want to be guilty of the very things that I was convicted of. So so I'm going to talk about David's life. But before I do that, I'll just give three minutes on who I am and my family, for those who don't know, just to try to, in three minutes, get you to know me better. Um, That's my wife, Landry, right there. Wave your hand. So we've been married for 10 years. Um, I'm 32. She just turned 30, and we've been married for 10 years. We haven't, our son's going to be 10 in less than a month. He's just went to go do whatever he's playing, doing kids' church. And Amaya is, uh, Amaya is seven, our daughter Amaya is seven. And so we, by the grace of God, have been what we call intercessory missionaries for the last 12 years. Um, and so as anyone, let's, there might be a couple of you, don't feel, don't feel ashamed if this is you, just raise your hand. How many of you have never heard of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City? Don't be ashamed, wave it high. Okay, there's a couple of you. So this is gonna, I'm about to say something that's going to make you go, wait, what? And you can just figure it out later. 
but we are a ministry in Kansas City that literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, has a never-ending prayer meeting. No, I'm not exaggerating, for 22 years. So we have like 20, 30 worship teams that rotate every two hours around the clock, and you can walk in the room at four o'clock in the morning, and there will be this many people in there. So we, and, and people from all over the, and, and we do it because it's a long story, but my pastor, my pop, my spiritual dad, his name is Mike Bickle, and Mike Bickle was a young dude my age, pastoring, gifted, charismatic young guy, and basically from 1980 to 1985, there was this five-year window where Mike Bickle got visited by the Lord on all this wild stuff. He was in a hotel room in Cairo, Egypt, and the Lord said, I'm going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. This wild prophet from Arkansas walks into his office with overalls on and a winter coat on a 75-degree day and begins to prophesy to him about, you're going to have this global worship movement. God's going to use you to be a part of restoring the tabernacle of David. Just like David had singers and musicians 24-7, he's going to do it through you, and it's going to explode all over the earth before he returns. And he's like, and I'm wearing a winter coat today to let you know as a sign it's going to snow on the first of spring. And when it snows on the first of spring, you'll know that my words are true. And this wild prophetic storyline gets written with 7,000 other confirmations. And in 1999, Mike resigns his mega church in Kansas City and moves into a double wide trailer. No, for real. Uh, a guy named Bob Hartley gifted two trailers. They blew the wall out between them and made it a double wide prayer room. And literally for 22 years, that prayer meeting never ended. And people from all over the world are getting apprehended by the Lord sovereignly to leave everything to go to Kansas City. To we, we do lots of different things, but all of us at IHOP, our bulk of our time, 20 plus hours a week, is first and foremost being in a house of prayer, going deep in the word of God as the Lord's preparing us to be messengers before he returns and crying out and contending for God's plans and purposes in the earth. And Bill Bright actually said to Mike Bickle, Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Bill Bright said to Mike Bickle right before he died, he said, Mike, don't quit what you're doing because the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled along so without the partnership of night and day prayer. They can't, it can't happen without it. And so we believe that a part of, we actually believe that through intercession, it's one of the primary ways that we actually get to partner with God for the Great Commission. And I actually believe, I don't, this is not like an IHOP pitch that IHOP's doing something better. I believe that actually intercession is the number one way for the Great Commission to go forth because in this room right now, there's only about two of you that maybe get called to be in full-time ministry and be a Reinhardt Bonnke for the rest of your life. For most of you, it's the gas station, the grocery store, and your workplace. And that's your little sphere of influence. But how does that make sense in light of the whole world hearing the gospel? Every single one of you in this room can advance the Great Commission if you really believe that you're a priest and that you can stand before God and declare his words over Lake Travis and things actually happen. So when I take the, when I take the microphone at IHOP, and I pray Ephesians 1.17, which is where Paul says, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. You guys ever heard that prayer before? I sincerely believe that when I stand on that microphone in Kansas City and I pray for the church in Kansas City, <laughs> you know, who knows who I'm praying for? I got a few churches in my mind, but, you know, and I'm praying, God, I ask that you would visit the church of Kansas City with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God 
for I may never see in the way that I think I would see the fruit of that prayer, but little do I know that when I prayed that prayer at 10.20 a.m. on Wednesday morning, Pastor Kyle Turner of Hillsong, Kansas City, is sitting in his office right now preparing for the sermon that he's going to preach on Sunday. He's reading through the word, and all of a sudden, right at the same time at 10.20 a.m., a Bible verse jumps out at him like it never has before. A spirit of revelation hits him. He jots down some notes. He's now, now he gets up on Sunday morning, and he declares something that the Lord gave him that was connected to my prayer in that room, and then because he declared something that was bigger than just head knowledge of the Bible, the spirit of wisdom and revelation opened up something to him. He now steps on his pulpit Sunday morning, he speaks something, and now 30 people in the room get unlocked in a truth about God because some dude prayed on a microphone at 10.20 a.m. for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to hit pastors in Kansas City. No, I really believe that with my whole heart, and I'm only getting more intense about it. A lot of guys don't make it past about five years at IHOP. They get offended. They get jaded because doing the house of prayer crushes your dreams. If you're a worship leader who starts doing prayer sets at a church because it's your way to get somewhere, you're going to die quickly. And actually, I was with one of our worship leaders, Clay, Ed, uh, Clay Edwards, who's Misty Edwards' brother. He made a profound statement the other day. We, we were in our briefing, and he was talking about how the house of prayer is the crushing of your dreams in a good way. He was saying like, because it's unto the Lord and nothing else. And he made this interesting statement. He said, if you look at the track record of worship leaders at IHOP that have been there for 12 or more years, 95% of them had a season in the night watch. Because in the night watch, ain't no one know you're there. It's midnight to 6 a.m. You'll never be the guy on the web stream. Who's watching the web stream at three in the morning? You know, not very many people. But it was interesting, he made this statement that the, the worship leaders that are still doing it 12 years later with, with, with stamina and zeal, they all had a season in the night watch because they, 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 they knew that they were giving their lives to something. And so I just say that to say I'm, I'm, I'm beyond blown away by the grace of God that 12 years later I can confidently say there's not a week or a month that goes by that I don't get more committed and more sold out for this reality. And since IHOP started 22 years ago, over 30,000 house of prayers have, wrote, have, have now popped up over the world. Some are doing one prayer meeting a week. Some are doing one prayer meeting a day. It doesn't make a difference. It's that the Lord is changing the understanding and expression of Christianity. And we are not, and, and the, where the Lord is taking the church is we're moving away from being instructed and teaching and talking so much to Jesus being the center of, of the conversation. Not that we don't teach and preach and pastor and disciple on Sunday mornings, but the church expression of the world is mostly you come to get taught by somebody, and that's it. And, 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 the, and there was, there's like one prayer meeting a week that's like in the small closet that five people can fit in, and it's the four old ladies. No, for real. I mean, that's, that, that's the prayer movement of, you know, but the Lord is slowly but surely reorchestrating the revelation that we gather to host God and nothing else. That before we minister to people, we minister to God. Went too long on that. Um, so anyways, it's been crazy. My wife and I have been sustained financially for 12 years by the Lord. And, um, and it's just been a wild journey. And, and I am gonna just gonna unashamedly give a little one minute plug on that. My family and I, full blown raise support. So actually, I don't like using the word support. We raise partners 
that give into our lives as their expression of sowing into the bigger picture of what God's doing on the earth. And um, we have these little cool magazines. They're kind of cool. Check these out. We got these magazines that just kind of highlight what we do. It's pretty cool. Look at that one. That's the best slide. Or that's the best part of it. But um, we don't only do the prayer room, but that I spend every day, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to noon, first and foremost in that room. And then we do all kinds of stuff. We travel over the nation. I help lead a skate park outreach. You know, uh, I help lead our college. Well, it's, it's not actually the college ministry of IHOP. It's, I help lead this global thing called the Luke 18 Project, where we are impacting college students from all over, all over the nation with our DNA. And what that looks like is, is a lot of things. But for instance, this summer, we, did, we, did a, we do a thing every summer called the Summer Leadership Program where we have about 25 to 30 college students that come to Kansas City for three weeks and they just go deep in our, in our DNA. College students from all over the nation, you know, a couple from each campus, whatever. Well, about 30 usually. And the Lord just rocks them for 21. I mean, literally, it's full-blown visitation till midnight every night. <laughs> and we get them in the prayer room. We get them our DNA. And so just as an example, there's a small Christian college that we didn't even know existed two years ago called Kansas Christian College in our city. We didn't even know it was a thing. It's 150 students. It's in Oberlin Park, Kansas. And, and, it's, and there's about 150 students. 130 of them are not saved. They're all there on scholarships for sports. They actually have a phenomenal soccer program and a phenomenal uh, track and field program. So there's, so there's all these odd athletes there. And there's this, we end up meeting the soccer coach who's charismatic and loves Jesus. And he's trying his best to get this little school of 150 people saved. And he sends two guys that he's discipling to our summer leadership program. They get rocked. And their names are Tellus and Fernando. Tellus and Fernando send summer leadership program every single day in the school chapel, pray for revival on their campus now at 6 a.m. And then they just had me on Tuesday morning come and preach because these 150 students that aren't saved are required to be at chapel. And so they had me come and speak on Tuesday. God healed a bunch of people. One of the rugby players who everyone in the school knows he's injured and can't play got totally healed and played his game that night. Yeah, and it's just fun stuff like that. It's awesome. So if you guys want to know more of how to, for real, for real, like partner with our family. We, I'm not kidding when I say we raise our money. I have about 10 of these out on that black desk or that black table when you walked in. Also with these, there's, about, there's, a, there's these little cards if you fill out that card and leave it on the front table, it gives me all your information. And what that means to me is you're like, I'm serious about wanting to become a partner. Now, there's no way for you to actually give on that card. It's me getting your information. I'm actually going to call you, and we're going to connect and get to know each other, and I'm going to tell you more. So if at all, if that interests you, jump on in. We would love to have you on our team. We always have to be raising money because anyone who knows, you know, you raise 10, but you lose five, <laughs> you know, and you get a bunch and then five jump off. And it's, it's a never ending journey of us doing it. But the Lord for 12 years has sovereignly uh, sustained us. So, all right, I've got 30 minutes. Let's go. I want to talk to you guys about David. Um, I, I was really torn on what to do. We, we at Sunday school this morning, we talked about the end times. It was fun. Um, and I almost went there this morning, but we're not going to. We're going to talk about David. Yeah. I'm going to do something here. I, I'm, I'm just going to set the table, and we're going to jump right in. I promise to be done in 30 minutes. So here's the, because I want to be able to pray for you guys. So David, we all know this, but this, the famous verse around David's life is what? Psalm 27.4. The one thing I desire and that one thing that I seek, that I gaze upon the beauty of God all the days of my life. We all know that verse. 
And that is the primary definition of David's life is that he was a man who was possessed with God's heart and God's purposes, so much so that in 1 Samuel 13, when he's a teenager, he gets a hold of God, but he wasn't really, it, it, what I believe though is he wasn't the, the young driven kid who wants to be in ministry, so he's like radical for God. He is the shepherd boy out in the field doing the crappy job. He, he's, the, he's the kid who's pushing the lawnmower from house to house. <laughs> I'm not talking about the lawn mowing business, like a good one. I'm talking about he, he has to push the lawnmower from house to house. He's overlooked. His dad, he's got a bad relationship with his family. He's one of, I think, eight brothers. He's overlooked. It's, it's a bad situation. And all throughout the Psalms, David lets us in on the pain of his family and the pain of his friendships. But David, we don't fully know fully like what were the conversations like that he was having just being a shepherd boy. We know for sure he lived most of his life in isolation. He's on the field by himself all day, all the time. And yes, we know he took on some lions and bears, but that doesn't give us a lot of understanding about the heart conversations he was having with God. But whatever it was, it got a hold of God's heart and the Lord visits Samuel, the prophet, who, I mean, you guys are remember. In Old Testament days, prophets weren't like our prophets today. You know, where everyone dismisses them, nobody cares. They feared the kings of the earth in the Old Testament days, though they were wicked and rebellious in sin, they feared God and they feared the prophets. There was always a dynamic relationship with the prophet and the king. So Samuel's not just, you know, Jeremiah Johnson or something, you know. He's not just some prophet. He is the most important dude on the earth, maybe even more so than Saul. Because Saul, at the end of the day, is like going to him, you know? And the Lord visits Samuel and says, all right, you guys have had enough with Saul, haven't you? I'm actually going to take the anointing off of his life, and we're going to anoint the new king into service. But we know that it doesn't happen for a couple decades, right? And he goes, there's a young man. Don't, don't, don't judge by his appearance. But there's a young man who's got a hold of my attention. He's a man that's after my heart. I think the language is so significant that the Lord used. It wasn't like, he's got a heart for me. He was a man who was after what's in my heart. So yes, he had a heart that was to love God and whatever with his life. But the Lord said, this is a man who's after my heart. And we see this play out because the very first thing he does when he finally becomes king in Jerusalem is do what? The Ark of the Covenant has been intense. I've got a beautiful mansion in cedar. We're gonna put the, God, the Ark of God where it belongs. And then he starts allocating all the funds to make sure that it stays open 24-7. And the Lord did not ask David to do that. That's a whole other conversation. So it plays out. We know this dude was for real after what the Lord was after. So much so that it gets God's attention to say, I'm gonna anoint that kid as king and actually, he goes through the, the worst time ever because of it. You know, it's one thing to be full of zeal and say, I want to take on the world for God. And then the Lord's like, I'll test that. You kind of put yourself there. I've had many of those. <laughs> David wasn't asking for this. David just loved God. But he loved God so much that the Lord goes, I am going to anoint this young man to be king. In Isaiah 55 and, and Zechariah 12, we see a, pro you, did you guys know this, by the way, fun fact, David's the second most talked about man in the Bible. There's a lot to say about David. 
So here's what he says. Uh, Isaiah 55, Isaiah says this, uh, verses three and four, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. So David's life served as a witness to God's people. It wasn't just sovereign choice, I pick king who I pick king. What happened with David was it wasn't just God picked a guy who's gonna be king because that's what he does. David's life was a witness to the world of I not only want him to be king, but these are the kind of people that I want ruling in places of authority. So he's going, David's life is not just sovereign picked. David is actually a witness to you. And then Zechariah 12, verse eight, it says, in the day of the Lord, or in, in the day that the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David. Yes. David's being brought up in end time prophecy. David gets mentioned in Acts, lots of different stuff. And the point is this, the point of where I'm going with this is I wanna quickly walk you through David's five key seasons that he had before he became, uh, well, the fifth season is Jerusalem. There's four seasons that David has to walk through that are extremely challenging. And the tension that David has to walk out in all of these seasons of life is will he keep his heart in the same place that it was when he was a teenager in Bethlehem? And, and David's life, according to Isaiah 55 in Zechariah 12, is a witness to us of what the Lord is looking for each and every one of you in this room. At the end of the day, your assignments are whatever. They're secondary. You're called to be a businessman. You're called to do this. You're called to whatever you're called to do is really not the conversation. Because the Lord will anoint you for whatever it is that you're called to do. And I'm not saying we don't need to take business growing courses and you know listen to Grant Cardone and whoever you listen to, Gary V, you know, whoever, whoever you drink from to get excited about your business. I'm not saying don't do that, but what I am saying is, is it's typically our externals that derail us from the very thing that matters. And according to Jesus, the only thing that matters and the first thing that matters is that we would what? Love the Lord our God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our mind, and our strength. Jesus said it's the first and the greatest commandment. So when David finds a teenager who fits that mold, it's a big deal. So now we know what happens. Samuel shows up at the house, shows up at Jesse's house. Can you imagine the day? <laughs> the most important man in the world, I, I joke, and people get mad at me for saying this because people don't have opinions about politics right now, but it'd be like Joe Biden... Joe Biden and um, the number one prophet, I don't know who that is, but whoever that guy is, they show up at your house for dinner. Like they come knocking on Glenn's door. They're like, hey, and you're like, open the door. You're like, oh my God, you shut the door. You're like, dude, Samuel's at my house right now. What is going on? Like, you're right. And so <laughs> it's crazy. We got the banquet dinner. I mean, you go all out. You clear the bank accounts. The Samuel's coming over. But David doesn't get invited. No, he does not get invited. He's within eyesight out in the field working. Imagine the wrestle. It, that, that right there is enough for us to quit on God altogether in America. That's it. My parents don't like me. I have a hard upbringing. God's not good. I'm out. I don't want this religion anymore. That, there he is. There's the American spirit for you right there. 
So David is in the field just working, and Samuel's over, and they're having filet mignon, or whatever your pick is, and now it's time. It's time to anoint who it is, right? And the brothers are passing by. Nope, that ain't it. He 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 ain't it. And they're out of brothers, you know, and Samuel's like, no, 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 for sure the Lord told me that the, who I'm anointing king is in this house. And Jesse goes, well, I mean, yeah, there's another one. And he says out of his mouth, there he is. The kid's in eyesight. How ashamed, how embarrassing, how sad that you weren't invited into the family feast with the most important man in all of Israel. What? You're in eyesight. So you're out there doing whatever you're doing, picking up sheep dump or whatever you're doing, and you can see the dinner. Like you're watching this happen. You know who's at the house. David ain't stupid. So they call him in. You know what happens. He gets anointed. Well, then now the spirit of the Lord's upon David. He's still the teenage boy whose brothers can't stand him. And his dad is still a terrible father to him, Right? And now what happens? Spirit of the Lord comes on him and leaves Saul and the Lord replaces his spirit with a tormenting spirit. And they find out, hey, that kid, David, dude, he can play the harp like no one's business and the anointing of the Lord's on him. And so you guys know what happens. David out of nowhere is the shepherd boy in the field in Bethlehem, not a great situation, but he loves God. But now he didn't ask for this. Now he's in Gibeah. Now he's in Gibeah. He is in the high rise of downtown Austin. What's the hick town around here? Is there, is there like a, because Lake Travis ain't it. What, what's like the little hick town 20 minutes away? Pick, pick one. What is it? Bass Drop? It's called Bass Drop. Bass Drop. Whatever. So David's over here in Bass Drop. Loving God, just loving Jesus, his life stinks. No, for real, and he's isolated umpteen hours a day. And now the dude in Bastrop, and, and, now, and now the leader of your city, Austin, who's got the high rise in downtown, the sweetest spot ever, is asking you to get here quickly. And you're like, what, me? And you know what happens, he plays the harp, the spirit, you know, he gets soothed. Now he's going, you ain't going home. Overnight, David gets promoted from just being a hidden guy who loves God who didn't really want this to now he's in Gibeah. He's got favor with Saul. He's living in Gibeah with all the money, all the whatever, becomes, becomes tight best friends with Saul's son and marries Saul's daughter. Now, now Saul's his dad, his father-in-law. Right? He didn't ask for this. Now, this big old dude named Goliath is coming against God's people in Israel, and David's coming down to bring snacks to the fighters. He, for real, is the water boy with the granola bars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Gatorade and Cliff bars. And he's, and he's coming down, right? 
And when he sees Goliath, what does he say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. This wasn't David full of bravado. I'm the king. I know the anointing that's all my life. I know my promises. Who is this guy? No, Psalm 69 lets us in on the equation that David had zeal for God's house. Remember, he's after God's heart. And he knows that God says that Jerusalem, Israel, Zion, this is the apple of God's eye. So when he sees Goliath, it's not male bravado of strength. Who is this guy? No, it's He's gripped with the burden because somebody is defiling the apple of God's eye. And so a holy thing rises up within him and his brother goes, dude, shut up. You are so arrogant. And in Psalm 69, David lets us into, I suffered much affliction from my friends and my family because zeal for God's house consumed me. So David's persecution, the overlooking of his brothers and the offense from his father towards him was simply because he loved God so much. They they couldn't deal with it, right? Because all through the scriptures, it's the constant thing. Why are you doing this to me? I'm an innocent man. David stayed innocent through the whole thing. So here, so then you know what happens. Boom, he kills Goliath. Now he's on the front page of every magazine that there is, as Corey Russell said last night. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not copying Corey's message. This has been my thing lately. Um, you know, his Instagram following went up huge. And now the new song comes out on the radio. Saul has killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. And Saul gets ticked. Now Saul kicks his son-in-law out and is trying to murder him. And now for the next seven years, David, seven years, guys, how many of, how many of you have withheld a six-month storm? I mean, I gotta, if I have one friend send me a text disagreeing with me with something, anxiety fills my heart to the nth degree, and I'm like ready to quit over it. I mean, I've got a friend who, you know, a partner who gets offended at me and stops giving me 50 bucks a month, and I'm like anxiety over it, like I hurt someone somehow. Right? Like, like the littlest conflicts derail us. For seven years, David is now hiding for his life. And did you know, this changes everything and you need to know this, most of the Psalms were written in that seven years. That changes everything. When you find out that David wrote Psalm 27.4 while hiding from Saul, dude, God, I just loved you in my dysfunctional family and you had to send a prophet to come anoint me and then I get asked to go to Gibeah. I didn't want it and then Saul makes me marry his daughter and then I hit it off with his brother or hit it off with his son. I didn't ask for any of this and then you send me out to go feed the people and I get this holy zeal from you to stand up against Goliath and now I'm running and hiding for my life. If anyone has a reason to be offended, it's David. He didn't ask for this. David didn't like jump off the cliff to pursue his dream and God goes, I'm gonna test you now, buddy. No, God tested him for something he didn't even ask for. And it's in that season that he says, there's one thing I desire and that one thing I'll seek after for the rest of my days, that I would gaze upon the beauty of God all the days of my life. Guys, he's king. He's been anointed by God as king and now he's hiding in a cave. And he's saying, one thing I've desired and that one thing I seek. 
he's making a statement to God that honestly, Lord, I just want you. And we know that actually in his seven years, man, he made some bad decisions. I actually was talking to Mike Bickle about this the other day because I, I was reading through, I was reading through the Bathsheba story, you know, and I was like, this is messed up. And I was like troubled by it. And I was in Mike's office and he goes, he goes, you know, actually his seven years, you know that the stuff he did there was worse than the Bathsheba thing? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he broke it down for me. He's like, oh yeah, he goes, he goes, David made one big sin and it was detrimental because yes, it messed up his family line and he goes, it actually put a major um, limp on him for the rest of his days. He lost, you know, it was, it was humbling. He goes, but it's, dude, but he goes, think about all that he did in that seven years. In fear, he led people to a city and then because of his fears, a bunch of priests died. I mean, there's, I mean David, David made some mistakes, but the point is, is when we start looking at the Psalms and then what he did when he became king and we start paying attention to these little things, Though David was full of major mess-ups, we see a man that, that I believe with my whole heart did keep the heart posture of a man after God's heart. And that's, and that's encouraging to us. I mean, this dude, this dude cheated. Or this dude slept with someone's wife and then manipulated him to go die, her husband to die. That's messed up. And then because of it, a generational curse comes on his family and now, his, now his, one of his sons rapes one of his sisters. I mean, it's nuts what ended up happening. And that gives us courage. Not that we should, doesn't give us an excuse to do those things, never. No, I, I, don't, I don't go, oh, David did it, good. Like, <laughs> no, no, I go, we don't have to do that. But the fact that the Lord made a staple on his life, even when he made, I mean, think about this. Second Samuel 7 David says, I'm gonna build you this ark. And the Lord says, Be, or I'm gonna build this house for you. The, it moved the Lord's heart so much that he goes, I'm gonna build your house. Your throne's gonna be established forever. And through your line is gonna come the Messiah. <laughs> Knowing that Bathsheba is about to go down. And his situation with Bathsheba causing his own son to rape. I mean, it's just nuts. But yet the Lord did, it doesn't overlook our sin, but the Lord goes, but I still see the man that is after my heart, and here and so 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 David goes from his so so David goes from season one Bethlehem, season two promoted overnight to Gibeah. Anyone everyone ever experienced that before? You just loved God and then you got promotion. And the tension is when you get promoted, will you keep the tenderness of your heart in the first things? Because most what happened is, is they, they experience early promotion and then in our place of early promotion, we forget the simplicity of why we even got here in the first place. And now our, our promotion actually ends up becoming our failure. The promises of God that begin to get fulfilled in our life, if we don't keep the first things first and our hearts tender and pure before him, actually the very promises become our fall. And we have, a, we have an American church culture that is drunk on promises. Drunk on it. 
your destiny, your thing, your promise. It has nothing to do with being a first commandment lover of God. It's about our destiny. It's about our business growing. It's about, if you're called to be a preacher, it's about that. It's about your church numbers. It's about whatever it might be. And we are so drunk on, we'll go all in for God if our promises get fulfilled. Well, guess what? You don't have a great cloud of witnesses that that's their story. Hebrews 11 makes it very clear that the hallmarks of our faith, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Elijah, the whole list, the whole gang, you wanna know what the one thing they had in common? None of them experienced the fullness of what they, what they were promised, but they did not waver because their eyes were set on something bigger. Their eyes were set on the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Abraham literally has not even yet seen his promise that he was given from God fulfilled, but it says that he did not grow discouraged, did not fall away, and did not whatever because it says that he had his eyes set on the holy city the new Jerusalem. Somehow, Moses, Elijah, Abraham, Sarah, the whole gang, somehow they got a revelation that their ultimate purpose, their ultimate destiny, and their ultimate fulfillment might not actually be in this age. It says I, they walked the earth like strangers and sojourners because they were looking to a holy city. See, but we're so drunk in our promises here and now on this earth with zero revelation of eternity and what that really looks like that we find ourselves in the rat race of trying to get promises from God. Some of us never see them so we get offended or we get them and then we fall away and do dumb stuff. And so the great test of David's life is, and, and, and actually I'm in I've actually, in my 13 years, can very, very, very identify. And I wish I had more time to get raw with you guys and vulnerable, but that's my story. I just loved, I was a drug addict who got radically saved in a rehab in 2008, November 11, 2008. And I just loved God. I got up every morning at 6 a.m. and watched Missy Edwards DVDs in this rehab. And I didn't care. I wasn't like, hey, this is unto something. No, I loved God. And then sovereignly, I went to a One Thing conference. A month later, I was still too prideful to raise my hands in worship. I thought men that raised their hands in worship were feminine and had an issue with their masculinity. That's literally what I thought as a 19-year-old. <laughs> and Mike Bickle preached a message on the John the Baptist anointing, and I'm one month saved, and my heart's pounding. I don't know what it means, and I say yes. And eight months later, I moved to Kansas City, and I've been on full-time staff ever since. Then in 2012, I just love God. I'm a dork with long hair. Marry my wife. We don't really care. We have no vision for our life other than we just love God. We had 500 bucks a month in support with a $600 a month rent. 640, wasn't it? It's 640. No, for real, I didn't have a desire to be anything. And then sovereignly by a miracle from God in 2012 or 13, I'm like 23 years old, I get an email from Reinhard Bonnke that I'm selected to spend a week with him in Florida with 50 other people. And my whole life changes. No, like for real, my whole life changed. My whole, one week, I, like, I literally received an, like an actual, not like you came up and got prayed over and called an impartation. Like it was a sovereign, hand-picked thing. I literally received an impartation and I began to walk in signs and wonders and miracles overnight. Never saw, I don't think I ever saw a person healed. And the next day, it is just bonkers, bonkers, bonkers. People dying of cancer, getting, like for real, getting healed. Doctors, like you released, this is a miracle. And because of that, I end up getting, my ministry blows up. I'm just this young kid who's 23 years old and doesn't really care. 
And all of a sudden, like words getting out, there's this kid in Kansas City. And before I know it, for the next six years, I'm traveling all over the nation, seeing crazy stuff. And then, but in that season, I completely got disillusioned and full of pride. And the Lord sent us to our Adolam season because David's, we, we, we call David's seven-year season Adolam. And the Lord actually sent my wife and I and kids, tricked us and moved us to New York City. Provided all the money, all the storyline, crazy story. We're going to do all these things. We literally did. We helped direct the house of prayer in Manhattan. Lived in New York City and we died there. No, for real. The Lord set us up for a divine crushing and began to undo so much pride and so much whatever. And we are just coming out of that season this year. Um, and that season lasted from 2016 to 2021. And at the end, at halfway through 2020, the Lord asked my family to go on a six-month sabbatical. And we came out of that at the beginning of this year. And I feel like we have peaked kind of over the edge. And now let me get you now to David's next season. So David goes through Hebron. He established a deep, a deep longing in his heart for God, even in the place of that season. Remember, most of the Psalms were written in Adullam in that seven-year season. Now David gets his, 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 his breath of fresh air. Saul dies. Saul, you guys know the story. So word gets to David, guess what? Saul's dead. And all of his buddies are like, this is it. This is the promise now. This is your moment, David. Saul's done. He's dead. So in the natural, duh, he's now king. But the Lord says something different. So David, instead of assuming it's time for him to shine, he actually asked the Lord what to do. It doesn't make any sense. Saul's dead. You're the one who's now king. And he says, actually, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord says, thanks for asking. He doesn't actually say that. But he says, thanks for asking. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you Judah. One of the 12. One. <laughs> one. But see, David established something so deep in his heart that literally when the mathematics said two plus two is four, you're now king. Actually, you know, Nehemiah, we were up late at John and Tracy Eckert's house on Wednesday night, and Nehemiah goes, well, dad, then who the heck was king if David was only king over Judah? And I was like, I never thought about that. Who was king? Maybe you guys know. I don't know. I was like, who was in the gap then? But maybe there wasn't a king. Anyways, David's now in his Hebron season, and that's actually where my wife and I are at right now. I actually don't fully know what my, my promises are. I actually don't even know what they are. But I know that we're in our Hebron season. And then we know what happens. David is just, David is doing it. He's leading Judah. It's got one of the 12 promises. But the point was, is that when David comes out of his seven-year cave season, the fact that he had the humility to make sure this is what God wanted, when the mathematics said, well, dude, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like you working at a, at, a, at a clothing store and you're the, you're the assistant manager and the manager walks out. Well, duh, you're now the manager. Well, let me ask the Lord first. And he does, and the Lord actually doesn't go, okay, thank you for asking, now I'll give it to you. He gives him one of the 12. And then we know what happens. Fast forward, he becomes king over Jerusalem. And the first thing that he does when he becomes king is he says, the first priority. I now, I'm in my lazy boy. I'm here now. 
man, that was a horrible season. And all of his buddies are like, dude, whatever, just chill. <laughs> like, you deserve this, dude. You've been in the cave. You, and then you only got Judah. You deserve this. Chill out. Relax. Go buy a new car. You got, here's the bank account. <laughs> you know, Hey, the, your name's in the deed now. There's, there's about $800 million in there. You're the king. Like, why don't you buy yourself a nice house? Why don't you get things set up? You know, why don't you just take a season to chill? And the Lord goes, or, or, or David goes, no way. He goes, hold on a second. I'm now dwelling in a house of cedar, but the ark, it's intense. And then the Lord goes, you're gonna build a house for me, David? With a question mark? The Lord didn't tell him to do that. You're gonna do that for me, David? Okay, you, since you wanna build my house, David, I'm gonna build your house. And not only am I gonna build your house, you've moved my heart so much, David. I've watched you through all of these seasons. I took you through a living hell all of these seasons. And you're, you made a lot of mistakes and you're really about to blow it and it's gonna put a stain on you for the rest of your days. He's like, but I see everything. So much so, Jesus is coming through your line. I mean, that's just, what the heck? And so, as we close now, here's, here, here's what I wanna pray for us for. I, I've not arrived at this, and this is my desire and my heart in this season is I'm asking the Lord to that I want to renew my vows to him. I'm trying to remember what my conversations were like with him when I was getting up at 6 a.m. for no other reason. It wasn't my job then. Actually, the counselors hated it. The ones that, the ones that mentored and discipled me got mad at me because they, in order for me to get up and be in there, I had to be supervised because I, I was in a place. You know? <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was supposed to be in prison a month earlier. You know? I know for real, the guys that are like, trying to witness the gospel to me and get me saved are now like, oh my God, he's making us get up at 5 a.m. to seek the Lord. Like, cause they, they had, I, I couldn't be unsupervised. <laughs> but they were gonna tell me no, you know? And, and remember this, I'll end with this verse. All through the scriptures, we're commanded to remember the Lord. Remember his faithfulness, remember all these things. But the writer of Psalm 132 says something staggering. He says, Lord, remember David. How he swore in all of his afflictions that he would not go to the comfort of his bed or the chamber of his house and he will give no sleep to his eyes nor slumber to his eyelids until I found a dwelling place for God. David made a decision in his heart. He was gripped by saying, I will resist comfort. Remember, David's the one who, who wrote that the Lord's words are sweeter than the honeycomb. David tapped into fasting. David tapped into all these different realities, but the, the cry of David's heart was, I refuse to go into the comfort of that Tempur-Pedic bed that I just got because I became king. <laughs> I refuse to kick back with my heated seats in the Bentley. I refuse to drink from all of these pleasures. I give no sleep to my eyes, nor any slumber to my eyelids or slumber to my life 
until I found a dwelling place for God here on the earth, here in Jerusalem, and in my life. We want to be dwelling places for God to rest, but we also then shift to say, Lord, I'm thankful that you are indwelling within my life, but Lord, I'll give no rest. I'll sell it all if it means that Lake Travis can be a dwelling place for God. And the call this morning is this. Do you identify with David? Can you in your own life think through, man, I've been through a lot because I'm young. I'm one of the youngest guys in the room. Some of you, you've got decades and decades of history beyond me. And even as I'm talking, you're thinking back over this last 20, 30 years. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh yeah, no, I've been derailed by my promises. Yeah, my, yeah when actually when I got my promotion and my business blew up, it actually wrecked things. It actually, I actually forgot about the Lord. Or fill in the blank. And I don't have to, everyone doesn't have to be guilty. <laughs> Some of you may be doing really well and you've done well, you know. Point being is, I want to pray for us this morning. For the baptism of fire to rest upon us. Do we need to release the kids? It's, it's, right, it's time right now. Okay, okay. All right, well, everyone stand. Because the only way that this thing can take root in us in a real way is we need the baptism of fire. Just like Kyle was saying, I think he maybe he said it in Sunday school this morning, you know, the Lord chose John the Baptist, his friend, to be the one to announce his first coming. And John was the one that was entrusted with the revelation that there's one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so right now, I just want you to come forward if you're gripped, your heart's stirred, you're, you're, you're stirred. You're going, Lord, I need grace. I need grace. I want this to be my story. I want to, in 20 years from now, I want the statement over my life to be that through the ups and downs, through the promise, through the trial, some of you are walking in serious promise right now. You're blowing up. Your money's great. You're in the lazy boy. You got the Bentley. Some of you, you're going through a really hard season. Whatever it is, it doesn't make a difference because what the Lord is after is your heart. And like we learned last night in Dallas, he's after friends. So Father, right now I ask for the baptism of fire. Come Holy Spirit, baptize us in fire, God. God, we can't do this in our own strength. You guys can't muster up this thing in your own strength. All right, I'm gonna be intense now and I'm gonna love God more. We need the baptism of fire. We need your fire, God. Father, we ask that this would be stamped and sealed. This is not about how much you fail. We learned that real, real good today about David's story. It's about, is your heart there? Father, I ask that you'd remove all the scar tissue. All the scar tissue from past seasons. God, remove the scar tissue and get our hearts tender again. We need your fire, God. John baptizes in water, but there's one coming who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit in fire. Father, I ask for the Isaiah 4-4, spirit of burning, to come in this room. 
and to cleanse us from our past hurts and guilt and shame. Isaiah 4.4, it says he's gonna come and he's gonna cleanse the filth of the daughters of Zion and he's gonna wash away the blood stains. That verse is actually an end time verse because it's, it's the Jews in Israel in Jerusalem that actually are gonna kill the two witnesses and dance around their bodies. And the Lord says that in Isaiah 4.4, in that day, he's gonna release a spirit of burning to cleanse their blood stains. The Lord's actually gonna give them a chance to wash away the guilt on their hands. But he also says he's gonna, he's gonna cleanse the filth of the daughters of Zion. And I believe it's Revelation 11 that Israel hits such a heightened place of the sickness of their sin that the Lord actually refers to him as Sodom. But the Lord says, I wanna come and I wanna cleanse that, the filth of the daughters of Zion. So Lord, I'm asking for the Isaiah 4-4 burning to just wash us clean. It's a new start today. If you're guilty to the core and you're convicted, the Lord says that today's a brand new start. Today's a brand new start for every single one of us. Father, we we repent, Lord, for worshiping your blessings. We repent, Lord, for looking more at your blessings. God, I'm asking for help for my own life, Lord. In seasons of favor, in seasons of promotion, God, we want our hearts to stay in the first place. Jesus, we align ourselves to your words that the first commandment is the number one thing that matters to you. That we would love you with our whole heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. Father, I ask for that Psalm 132 grace to rest upon every person in this room, that they would begin to enter into the seasons of, I'll give no sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids, until I've found a dwelling place for God. Father, I ask that you would deliver us from our alarm clocks. God, that you deliver us from the temptation to hit that snooze button. God, we're sorry for not being good friends. A bad friend would constantly show up late to the meeting. A bad friend would say, ah, I got something more important to do. I'll get there when I get there. We're sorry, Lord, for not treating you like we treat our best friends. I'll give no sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids until I've found a dwelling place for God. A dwelling place for God. For real, for most of us in this room, your most practical step right now is to wage war on that snooze button. I'm serious. not asking for quantity. He's asking for quality. Most of you in this room, you got a busy work schedule and he knows it. He wants 20 minutes. He wants the 20 minutes in the morning. It's all he's asking. Not asking for five hours. Maybe he is. He'll tell you if he is. But for most of us, we just got to set that alarm clock a half hour early and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be with you. You're my friend. No more blind dates. 
with God. No more blind dates, God. I ask that you'd remove the veil. No more blind dates, God. We want to experience you for real. Help us, God. God, we want to shift from looking at you as master all the time to you're our friend. You said you're raising up friends of the bridegroom. You told the disciples, I no longer look at you as servants, but as friends. The great end time cry of the church, the great end time prophecy is that the church worldwide is going to be pure and spotless saying exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying and it's going to move God's heart so much that it causes him to come back. Did you know that your friendship with God will provoke him to return? At the end of Revelation, it says the spirit and the bride say come. Do you understand the implications of that prophecy? That means that the Holy Spirit in that day will be saying one thing. He will be saying, come Lord Jesus. And in that day, the bride is gonna be so purified, so in unity with God and with the Spirit that with one accord, ElijahList.com is gonna only have one prophetic word for the day. And it's gonna be, come Lord Jesus. And there's that, that literal, this is not hype. This is what friendship is taking us to. That we will actually, for real, this is a soundbite that will get me in trouble, usher in the return of Jesus Christ. That he will have a bride so in friendship with him that for real we will say, as a unified church, come Lord Jesus, and literally he will come. So we thank you, God. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.